Hey gang, welcome to episode 111 of the No Proscenium podcast, the voice of everything immersive. I'm your host, Noah Nelson, coming to you from NoPro headquarters in Los Angeles. This week on the show, we have Christian Diekman, who is the chief strategy officer of 3D Live. That's a technology company here in Los Angeles that specializes in live immersive video um, uh, extravaganza stuff. We'll get into that in a second. Uh, Christian comes to us thanks to our friends at FOIL, the Future of Immersive Leisure Conference, which is happening on September 13th and 14th at the Mandalay Bay in Las Vegas. Uh, This is the inaugural conference uh, that's being put on. It's bringing together folks from the virtual reality, augmented reality, and 4D industries when it comes to location-based entertainment. So this isn't about the headsets you wear at home. This is about the stuff that just blows your mind. Um, Those of you who are listening, if you're interested in going to the conference, uh, the folks at Foil, aside from helping us find guests for the show, they are also giving you guys a 20% discount on the conference with the code NOPRESCINIUM. So just the code is NOPRESCINIUM which is the name of the show. So it's, it's pretty easy. So use that if you're interested in going to that show. If you're in the industry uh, and you want to know about what the future of immersive leisure is, um, well, well, those things, they go together, right? Okay. Um, hey, let's do a little more, a little more housekeeping here for a second. Uh, and let's thank our financial sponsors for the show, which is you. If you're listening to the show, uh, there's there's a there's a chance, you know, it's a, it's a greater than one percent chance that you're one of the financial backers of the show because you're part of our uh, Patreon collective, Patreon.com/slash No Persinium. Ross Sigworth, of course, is our sustaining backer. Uh, I also want to thank this week Catherine uh, for Jimmy. Uh, Catherine's doing a lot for us, and it's starting to get weird taking her money. Uh, because she's starting to like write things and like I'm talking to her about other stuff and it's like, you know, you don't have to, if you want to help out no proscenium and you don't have cash and you want to write for us, you know, you don't have to do two and two. Yeah, I know. I'm just talking, I'm literally talking, trying to talk Catherine out of giving us cash so she works for us more, but like, which is stupid because we need money, right? But it's like, you know, you don't take money from people who are working for, it's weird. It's just weird. It is weird. But I need your money. Uh, I do need your money. Uh, Patreon.com slash no proscenium. As little as a dollar a month can feed this uh, machine that we have created. Uh, Yeah, I was about to go there. I'm stopping myself. Uh, uh, It it helps out a lot. A dollar helps out a lot. Five dollars a month is like really sweet. And if you do more than that, whoa, buddy. Um, Five dollar backers, I need you to check your emails. I'm going to send one more email out and then I'm going to finally process the thing that I've been trying to uh, get around to process for a while because the summer has been crazy. So I'm going to send out a note to everybody uh, using the Patreon system today if you're a five dollar above backer. Uh, and then probably about two weeks from now, we'll start. Um, You'll start, start the prizes will start going out because only about five of you and there are more than five of you have have written in so far so this will be like the last chance once i do it this time this will be like the last chance if you don't 
then you don't. Um, there's also the matter of uh, when are we going to finally do a video hangout? We'll, we'll do one this month. Probably shouldn't have just said that, but I'll make it happen. It probably won't be at a time any of you can do, but whatever. Um, <laughs> I'm like almost any night, it's like being dragged into a conference or a show. So uh, it'll be at some weird, weird time. And maybe you'd like that, actually. Come to think of it, uh, a no pro video after dark. Yeah. Okay. So there you go. It'll be after dark. It won't be at a reasonable time. It'll be an unreasonable time. Um, there. We're so professional. There is, again, once again, no uh, A segment on the show. This is kind of old school, uh, mostly because we're playing catch up with everything. Uh, we've got a little ahead of the curve in terms of what's packed away. So uh, expect for some uh, the format to go back to what it was after episode 100 uh, in a minute here. But uh, this is a pretty good episode. So uh, Christian Diekman uh, is the chief strategy officer, as I mentioned, of 3D Live. Um, and I don't want to steal too much thunder here. Uh, Christian's Christian's uh, worked in the theme park industry for a long time. He just j- recently jumped over to 3D Live. Uh, I got to have I, I've seen the 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 video wall, the LED video wall that does 3D that these guys have had. Maybe if you've been to VRLA, you may have seen it. It was the big video wall that if you put 3D glasses on, even like across the room, you know. And I mean, like the hall, you could see what was going on. Pretty nifty in terms of what it does um and the what they call negative z which is you know how much the images can pop out to you um is really good way better than the projected 3d that we've seen uh around probably the neatest thing that came from the demo i saw uh right before christian and i sat down to talk was they have this golf this like futuristic golf demo they do and the way it works is, you, you know, you are sitting spectator mode with some 3D glasses on and some nice 3D glasses, like not in terms of like fancy, but in terms of like they're, they're really lightly polarized. They don't, it doesn't feel weird to look at the rest of the world for good reason. You're about to find out why. And um, then someone else goes and they put on a, uh, a, a VR headset, an HMD, and they, they walk into the space. Now the person wearing the HMD, they're seeing a fully rendered, you know, 3D CGI world. Uh, and they're, they've got a golf club set up that's got, you know, like a controller on it so that, you know, they know where the golf club is. Uh, but we sitting outside, instead of just watching someone in a, you know, black box or in front of a green screen because of the video wall, we see them walk into the space. And I don't just mean like we see them walk in front of a video. I mean, it looks like they're walking into the space because the 3D is projecting out towards us. And there are elements that they get to kind of like walk behind, right? You know, I mean, it's not it's not like, you know, they walk in front of a pixel, they walk in front of a pixel. But the way it works is it really gives that illusion. And suddenly what was a very solitary experience or, or just kind of like kind of, eh, there's someone in VR, like whatever. Suddenly you're like, oh, there's someone in VR. I can see what they're doing. It's a subtle thing, but it makes engagement possible. Whereas before engagement was impossible. Yeah. You can watch what's going on on a television monitor you know, and Mike Fontaine did that when I played Star Wars or when I played Batman at his at his house. It was 
thank you for letting me play those things, Mike. But um, this is this is a categorically different experience because it adds a spectator mode to VR experiences, and uh, that's important, particularly if you're going to be doing VR in out of home, big locations. Um, so you know, if you're making those kind of decisions, think about think about that. I'm just saying, think about that. So now we're going to jump in. That's the setup. Uh, Christian uh, is a smart dude. This is a good conversation. I hope you enjoy it. I know I did. Christian, you just showed me, um, how would you describe what I just saw? Yeah, so what we call our technology is holographic 3D LED display. And holographic's in quotes, it's not a true hologram, uh, but the only way that we've found to describe the effect of the screen is is to use the word holographic. Because really the images are jumping off of the screen in a way that you can't get through traditional projection-based 3D. And it allows for interaction with live performers or other physical elements and really a a way to do mixed reality without an augmented reality headset. I got to say, I was I was pretty freaking impressed uh, with what I saw, because once when when there was no human in there and you you threw in you threw in the CEO who like, you know, (laughs) who doesn't usually do the demo but when there's no human in there, I was like, oh, this is pretty cool. And then as soon as he stepped in and there was a reference point uh, on the demo reel, or when he was playing uh, playing golf in in a VR headset, and we were able to spectate and just be able to watch someone in uh, a 3D space uh, and not have it be oh I'm going to watch watch a video screen over here uh, you know because we, we see those demos in the tech demos where like usually the Microsoft thing where it's like, okay, they've got a camera set up so you can see what the person looks like inside the HoloLens space, but like you have to watch a screen. If you look at them, you just see a person standing in space, flapping their arms around. How important do you think it is that there's a spectator mode to VR? Yeah, as we were talking before the interview a little bit, I I think one of the big challenges for virtual reality in a location-based entertainment setting is that the capacity is very low. Um, So, you know, how do we take VR that's naturally an isolating experience, whether or not you're seeing avatars of other people within the headset, but you're putting on this headset, you're excluding the outside world. So how can other people participate in, in a shared social experience with you? And what's really exciting about what we can do with, with sort of our mixed reality where we're mixing the holographic 3D LED display with somebody who's, who's in a VR experience is now the people who are around them or waiting in line or their friends and family members, they can see from a fixed camera angle point of view that same virtual world uh, that the player is interacting with. You come from, you come from the theme park world and, and now you've landed here. 
you know, give me that character arc. Like, how yeah. do you how do you go from being like at Cedar to to doing this stuff? Yeah, so uh, I joined Cedar Fair about three and a half years ago. I, I was in a, a strategic growth and business development role there. So I, I did a lot of things, but part of my uh, job responsibilities was to look for new ways to grow the business outside of the core. Uh, and so since nature abhors a vacuum and we didn't really have anybody looking at all this cool new immersive tech, I ended up being Cedar Fair's immersive tech guy. <laughs> uh, so we, we actually did a number of projects in the digital attraction space. Um, we, we did, uh, we worked with the VR coaster guys to put a, a roller coaster on, on two of our coasters in North America, up in Canada's Wonderland in our park at Cedar Point. Uh, we created a augmented reality game uh, for some of our parks that was dubbed by the media as Pokemon Go for roller coasters. Uh, we did the, uh, the, the, the VR uh, project at Knott's that, that we had talked about, uh, a VR showdown at Ghost Town. And then uh, I, I, I found the 3D Live guys. Uh, I, I met them uh, through an introduction from somebody I met at, at E3. And I came in, I saw the very similar demo to the one you just saw, and I, I was blown away. Uh, I got my management team in here to see it as well. So we had our you know, CEO, CFO, COO in here, all in here to check it out. And we're like, okay, well, let's figure out what we can do with these guys. So you know, we had a number of conversations and we, we actually fleshed out a theme park project with them. Uh, that opened up at California's Great America uh, last year and was voted by USA Today as one of the top top six attractions uh, of 2016 uh, and was just a phenomenal project. And we actually partnered with Electronic Arts uh, for the IP, so the, the the attraction was built on the based on the Mass Effect video game series, uh, and so got got a huge response. And, and so we took the 3D LED screens that you saw, and then we combined them with motion seats from a company based in Torrance called Mediamation uh, to really create a, a simulator type ride. So it was sort of like that Star Tours concept, yeah. uh, but really in in a much much bigger theater environment. And we just retrofitted an existing theater that we that we had at that park. How this, this is part of the theme park business. I'm I'm curious about how important is and you can probably sense where I'm going to lead the conversation here. How important is it to have that kind of known IP? Uh, you know, I was a big Mass Effect fan for for a long time. Uh, you read the novels like that that yeah. layer of yeah. Mass Effect wow. nerd. Yeah. Oh yeah. No. Um, and you know, and 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 I've been a Bioware fan. You know, yep. bef- you know, long before that point. You know, because of other certain IPs. Uh, how important is it in, in theme park world and VR world that there is a piece of intellectual property people already have an emotional connection with in order to sort of lure them into yeah. exploring strange new worlds? Well, I mean, I think just looking at the success of things like you know, Harry Potter or Universal, I mean, it's very clear that those sorts of, of products really resonate with people. Uh, so, you know, I think, you know, what Universal has done with all the different IPs and what, and what Disney has done with their broader array of IP, it makes it easier. You have to do, you don't have to do as much storytelling when there's already a reference point for the, the guests coming in. They, mm-hmm. they, they know the characters, they know the environments. You can just sort of throw them in a little bit quicker. Uh, if it's not a known IP, you have to work a little bit harder uh, to get uh, the guest uh, immersed into that world. You may have to do some a little bit of storytelling, but you'll, you've got so little time in a theme park attraction. You may have, you know, four and a half minute ride experience, and you know, and, and, and you, you've got you've got time in the queue line. That's one way to start doing some storytelling. But a lot of the time, people are just in line talking to each other, looking at their phones. It's really hard to tell a deep story within that within that 
that time frame. So that's where IP can become really important. As you look at digitally based attractions, you know, in the amusement park space, uh, you know, IP is also very becomes more important as well. Because when you've got a roller coaster, I mean, regardless of what the theming of that roller coaster is, it's going to be an awesome ride. Yeah. Uh, but now when you're, you're when there's going to be characters and media, uh, it gets a little bit trickier. So. Um, yeah, that's that's uh, definitely becomes more important as we look at at, at, at techno- technology driven uh, immersive entertainment. Something like a roller coaster, it can be over in a couple of minutes or even less than a couple of minutes, depending on the, the type of roller coaster. Um, but it can, you know, whatever the average like twenty, thirty people like in a train, you can push a fair number of people through that in in you know in an hour. VR, as we were talking beforehand, like there's a there's a limitation in terms of pushing people through these immersive environments. It's funny because on the, on the theater side of things, same thing, right? You were actually, you, you, you went and saw Delusion last year. That was something we were talking about ahead of time. And like Delusion will go 20 times in a night of a group of like 10 or 12. But even then, you know, what are we talking about? Like 200 people in a night mm-hmm. can be pushed through Delusion. Um, is that... Is that just going to hold all of us down in immersion for forever on both sides of the digital divide here? Like, it's just we can't get that many people through, or yeah, there, there's there's definitely a trade-off between interactivity and capacity. Yeah, and when you're looking at the theme park space, right, Disney's and the Universal's of the world. I mean, they're looking for rides that can do. You know, two thousand plus people an hour. You know, roller coasters can do a thousand, fifteen hundred people plus an hour. So, within those settings, especially, um, you know, we, the VR is yet to find that sort of critical moment of okay, here's how we can get to massive capacity. Um, you know, that being said, I think you can create a lot of immersiveness without necessarily the interactivity piece. And I mean, Disney's been doing this for years, right? With set theming and and and, and with the, how you're using all these different forms of technology to tell a story, uh, so you can achieve immersiveness. But to get interactivity, there's an inherent trade-off there. I think, you know, now we're on the frontier edge where we're seeing new ways that technology can maybe be used to create interactivity at scale, but we're still definitely in early days. I think augmented reality and mixed reality could play a really interesting role there because, you know, in theory, you and I could be going through, let's say, a a maze or a haunted house experience, and we could be in the same physical space, but we could be seeing two completely different things through our augmented reality headset. Uh, You know, you could be something that, see something that's, you know, blood and gore and R-rated and I may be something, seeing something that's a little bit more mellow and maybe my kid's with me and you know he's seeing something where it's, it's, it's a lot more friendly and more cartoonish. So I think mass customization and mass interactivity could be potentially possible uh, with augmented reality. It's, it's fascinating because like there's, there's a show, there's a theater show here, a troupe in LA that does a lot of customization for their, their audience. And it can it can make the conversations amongst the audience members a little weird because some of the yep. traditions they have are out of the extreme horror thing. So when you give the haunted house example and it's like, oh, you might be seeing like the hard R and and or I was seeing the hard R, you're seeing the PG thirteen, your kid might be seeing just like just happy clowns <laughs> sitting around, which could be terrifying in of itself. Let's be honest. Um, that idea it starts to sound like going insane almost. It's like. Okay, we all walk through, but we cannot agree on what we just saw. This sort of prismatic effect. Yeah. Um, 
Well, it's a little bit like Sleep No More, right? Everybody goes yeah. through and has a different experience, and part of the fun of Sleep No More is going to that bar area afterwards and saying, well, what did you see, and what did you see, and you did, did you see the orgy scene, yeah. <laughs> and all that, right? Yeah. So I, I think it could be really an interesting uh, play here. Um, and, and, you know, I think the other thing we go back to, you know, going back to the, the start of the conversation, you know, how do you create spectator value? So maybe it's, it's, it's only a few people are actually interacting, but the everyone around is is experiencing it by you know vicariously through their friends or family members who are who are at that point of interaction. Yeah, um, that, and that's funny because that's something that comes up in these shows too, right? So I'm thinking of uh, there's there's the Nocturnal Fandango Company that did a show called Have You Seen Jake last year. Now it's the Seven Loneliness Gift, and then you have uh, Tension and Lust, and yep. both of them, you know, they'll cast members of the audience in significant roles that move the narrative forward and then other people sort of become spectators right and this this plasticity of agency this this idea that well some people really want to be the vanguard and jump out and be the people solving the puzzles and other people are willing to kind of like step back and just i'll watch you do it um at first it's mostly in drawn to the space are the people who really want to be doing it yeah but when we hit that mass level it it changes like not everyone wants i was at a thing last night uh it was an activation for hbo's big little lies yeah um it was amazing it was an amazing soapy wonderness that they managed to put on they did like a full two hour long immersive play just one night bespoke pop up it, it's gone now it'll never exist again like all that work they popped it up in three weeks but um it was it was way better than it had any business being but one of the funny things was hearing a woman uh, in like one of the later scenes, and I just sort of said, "This is stressing me out, <laughs> right?" You know, and 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 so it was not for her, but a lot of other people were like completely into it, and because of the soap, they were like shouting at the characters, uh, and they were like fully, fully invested in you know no time at all. Maybe like seventy-five people, close to a hundred, you mm-hmm. know, got to experience that you know two-hour experience. Uh, I just said experience twice, so everyone take a shot. Um, unless you're driving, in which case, stop the car, take a shot, and go back to driving. I'm gonna. I gotta watch it when I say things like that. Someone might do it and then get in trouble and feel bad. It's Friday afternoon. It's it okay. is Friday afternoon for us. Um, the um, and probably when they're listening. But this idea that there's a spectrum of the audience. Yeah. And um, I guess what do you learn? in the theme park world about that spectrum of audience. Yeah. I, th- I think you're on to something really important here. And, uh, you know, when I was at Cedar Fair, uh, one of the really exciting things that we launched last year that, that that's there again this year is, is Ghost Town Alive. Oh, my God. It's incredible. Which, which we bring the Wild West alive. And, and so it's this whole, you know, sort of sleep no more for kids sort of thing where the kids are running around and they're delivering packages and they're arresting robbers and they're, they're, they're playing it. And, and Ken Parks, who, you know, is, is, is the creative uh, person at Knott's who is really behind this and the genius behind it. You know, when we were talking about this, he said, there's, there's three layers, mm. right? You've got the person who's, who's just a spectator. They're just watching. They're watching their kid play, you know, all, all that they're sitting back. They don't, they don't really want to get as involved. They're, they're just sitting back. Then you've got the person who's playing it, right? So they're they're playing off the characters a little bit. You know, they're interacting with the actors, but then there's this layer beneath this, which is that they're living it, right? So these mm-hmm. these are people who are coming in. They're getting dressed up in their western gear. They've they've gone to a day over day after day. They know the storylines, and so they're actually acting almost like a performer. 
So I think the you know the 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 insight here is if you can create an experience where people can choose how far down the rabbit hole they want to go, then you can have that really deep interaction for those that want it in a way that doesn't totally kill the capacity of the overall experience. It's not one size fits all. How much I'm sure there's things you can't get into, but how much did you guys learn about that what could be done with the people who really want to go down the rabbit hole? Because there's there's a danger, I think, particularly in, in, in Southern California, you know, we know about annual pass holder kind of culture. And there's a danger that people who want to show up every day and they kind of they, they want to get the scene. The same thing happens at Sleep No More, where everyone like memorizes the patterns so they can get the one on one with the bald witch right. or or whatever. Um does that become a design issue as as things kind of go along? Or is it really are these folks completely essential to the the operation? I guess how do you how do you take the people who are living it and make it so that they are enhancing the experience for the people who are playing it and the people who are watching? Yeah, I mean, that's a really tough question to answer. Uh, yeah, I, I I think it really comes down to the quality of the performers you have mm. and their ability to just steer the scenario in the right way and. You know, try to get uh, interaction with the people who are, who are maybe not as involved, and if, if people are getting a little bit commandeering the experience too much, do you, you know, I'm sure, you know, it's, it's the same actors a lot of the time doing this, so they've got a sense for who's coming back every day and what the personalities they're dealing with. So it's really, I think, you know, the, the staff there just do an incredible job of managing through that, and are also, you know, are coached by the, you know, sort of the creative side of the fence, uh, you know, in terms of how are things going, and how do you handle the different situations. But it, it's, 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 a, it's a, I'm sure it's a tricky thing to. There's a balance there as with everything else. Yeah. It feels like a lot of people are sniffing around that sort of experience as, I don't want to say the next big thing, but, I mean, Disney's making some massive bets. You know, the whole idea of the, doing the whole Star Wars hotel, which I'm already saving yeah. up money for to go to. <laughs> so I think they're not wrong. But I think they're not wrong in the initial splash. Yeah. But there is a question of, and this is the question we have in our world, is, you know, how do we take this stuff that gets a lot of attention and make it something more than just... Oh, that was the fad. You know, I guess this is probably a question you face all the time. You know, you know, how do we take this thing, particularly in in the cycle we're in on VR, where, and we were saying this before we started. You know, like everyone thought it was going to be the consumer at home HMD sales, and yeah. those those didn't wind up going the way that everyone thought they were going to. Maybe that had something to do with the expectations being just like ridiculous, and the need for I keep looking at the need for like an iPhone like hit when we're not yeah. remotely there. But, but how, how is it just a matter of riding the wave, or is there something that can be done to sort of address this idea of like, no, there's something really here, and this is this is more than just the flavor of the month. Yeah, uh, I, that's a great question. I, I, I listen. I think I'm super excited about what Disney is going to be doing with with Star Wars and the and the immersive uh, experience there as well. Uh, there's going to be a lot of challenges that they're going to have to sort through. I mean, you know, not, I mean, Knotts does a lot of business, but Disneyland is at a whole nother scale. Yeah. Uh, so, you know, I, I think there's going to be a lot to figure out there. You know, that being said, you know, folks like you and I who've spent a lot of time in, in the immersive world, you know, this, this stuff is not new to us anymore. I think for the vast majority of the population, this stuff is still brand spanking new, right? How many people outside of these circles 
have been to an immersive theater show. You know, I, I, listen, if you live in New York, chances are in, in your, between the ages of 20 and 40, you've probably gone sleep, seen sleep, sleep No More at least once. But for the general broad population, most people haven't done this. Most people haven't done VR. Yeah. And, and so sometimes it's, you know, it's important to remember that we are not always the end customer um, and, 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 and figuring out how do we take this experience and the core of it and get, get it exposed to as many people as possible. That's one of the funny things that happens both in, in immersive and in, in VR, the, the, hitting the trough of disillusionment or with immersive on the small scale, you know, the capacity is like shot, yeah. like, like everything sells out within three minutes and like no new people can go see anything. And at best you get an extension with VR, you know, we, we've, we watched it. You mentioned it, like alt space had to like, you know, close up because, and then you know, the very next day, like the second life guys like announced to like, Oh no, we're on, we're going to be the social like platform right. for all, for all the, the home HMDs. <laughs> but you know, there's, there's all these people who haven't experienced, haven't had a reason to experience it yet. Yeah. And I keep on thinking about like, well, how do we, how do we initiate them? Oh, and, and here's a question. How important is it that someone, a consumer, not, not, a, not an enthusiast, but a consumer, someone who's taking the family to Knott's, taking the family to Disneyland, um, hearing about, oh, what's this void thing? Or like, oh, what's, what's, what's this VR thing that's like, you know, over, over here in this corner of the park? How important is it that the, that first taste is something that really hits home? I, I I think back to the first VR experience I had back at E3 in 2014, and I put on the Oculus headset, and I was in the Alien Isolation experience. Oh, God. And when the Xenomorph got me, uh. I screamed like a 10-year-old kid in a high-pitched voice that, that, that I, that I would, would never, ever use with if anybody I knew was watching. And, uh, you know, I think for a big group of the population, the, when they get a taste of this thing, they're just going to be knocked off off of their feet i'm suddenly having a vision of like a revisionist vision of if we could take the technology you have sitting in this warehouse over here and and replay that moment of you for the first time and watching <laughs> people watch you and and suddenly people are shouting it's behind you it's behind it's, you yes. yeah. and 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 how much that could change your experience of being in a virtual space yeah so, so I think you're onto something, right? It's how do we turn these VR experiences into a shared social experience? And I think it's, it's really interesting to look at some of the new models that are coming out there, like Meow, Meow Wolf, which is uh, you know George R. R. Martin was invested in there, and they've gotten, I mean, just a huge amount of people through that, and mm-hmm. and, and and sort of touches on the technology piece, it touches on the immersive piece. Uh, I think what the two-bit circus guys across the street are doing is really, really interesting because it's not just about VR. It's about creating a shared immersive uh, experience. The other, the other company I love talking about, it's, 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 it's not in the immersive space, is, is Topgolf. They took the game of mm. golf, you know, and, and how many people are, are, are able to go play 18 holes of golf today, and they've compressed it down to a two- to three-hour shared social experience, which is a, a, you know, sort of a driving range that's been, uh, you know, that's a smart driving range, and they've created games around it and food and beverage and everything. You know, that company is worth billions of dollars today, and, and they've been able to create a shared social experience uh, around something, and, and, and that's what we have to figure out for immersive and for VR, I think. The shared social experience is key. I mean, now I'm thinking about you know the the alternate reality experiences, alternate reality games that are 
either leading up to some of the shows around here or or extensions of the shows and those are those are really about the social experience or in this activation I saw the other night and you know some people were on their phones and and this question of like okay how do we how do we take you know the influencer behavior or the people who kind of want to be you know have both a living record of everything they do in their life <laughs> and be present because one of the things that's fascinating one thing that I love about immersive and VR is the sense of presence, right? And the Kent mm-hmm. Bai talks about you know presence in VR, I and mean, that's this huge thing. Uh, same thing in, in immersive theater. That our conversation was about that. This this idea of being able to really be in the moment in a way that we don't normally get to be in our lives because you know inevitably the the five o'clock eastern news break happens and everything else explodes and like our lives are nothing but distraction all the time and and i think back to the conversation i had with uh with lee alexander like the day facebook bought oculus um and i was doing the reaction piece for npr and she was like, you know, it's funny because Facebook is the ultimate distraction wear and VR is the ultimate anti-distraction wear. Like, as it was at the time, it was like, I put the mask on and now I'm in the other world and I'm fully present in this other world and there isn't a video ad pop-up. Yeah. Um, and I hope there will never be the video ad pop-up. But we know the video <laughs> ad pop-up. Is, we know it's coming. <laughs> we know it's coming. It's inevitable. But the social part of it, like, I mean, just, just to be honest, like, I've never been fully... I'm, I'm an ambivert. Right, like mm-hmm. yep. half the time I'm like woo gregarious. The other half the time I'm like I need my comic books. Leave me alone. I'm gonna play a video game. <laughs> I do not play MMORPGs. Like I have zero inch. I will play an RPG to death. Yep. And I'll talk to a, I'll tell war stories with a friend about it. But yep. I'm a lot more interested in you know that. Like oh, what was your trip yeah. like? Not was like oh, we're on this trip together. Right. You know, like when we were gonna do a trip together, it's like well, let's just go to the desert, man. You know, like let's <laughs> go for real. Um. But that idea of like, how do we, how do we create the full range of human experience in, in here? And I, I sometimes I worry that the commercial interest lies in like, okay, how can we cram as many people in this VR space as possible? And some of the depth gets lost because yeah. what's different about say going to a movie is that strange. You're both you're alone together in the dark. Right. It's how some people talk about it. Maybe that's yeah. a Pauline Kael quote, maybe. <laughs> I mean, like somewhere in the, this dumb brain of mine, there's an attribution. But this idea of that we're all there, isolated, with the screen in our eyes and the projector, or nowadays, you know, or with what you guys got. You don't need yep. the projector. Like, woo! Um, that, that wall is amazing, y'all. If you get a chance <laughs> to see it, it's really cool. Um, so that you're there alone with the screen in your eyes, but, but next to you are all the other people. And you can check out. I'm, I'm flashing on seeing, you know, Force Awakens at the Vista. And I had one of my oldest friends on one side of me, one of my newest friends on the other side. And when the Millennium Falcon took off, just like checking in with both of them real quick, like, this is really happening. Like, we just watched the Millennium Falcon take off uh, for the first time in, you know, 25 years. Wah! Right. Um, and, and that glee that was on all of our faces for, for that moment. And then back into the picture again back into this personal relationship there's no question there i just (laughs) i know i listen i i I think there's we're going to see a range of experiences here right i think i think there's always going to be that need to come together in a shared place and enjoy entertainment together that that, that's that's a fundamental human need yeah Uh, on the other spectrum I, i i you know i think what you said about putting on that VR headset and now you are going, you know, we talked about the rabbit hole, going really deep down that rabbit hole 
And I'm I'm the same way. I'm I'm the guy. I, I will never play you know multiplayer games with other people. I I, I want to go down there and play alone and and be and, and be isolated and be in my own world. If there's going to be experiences like that, and then you know I think as hard as it is to believe, and you know I know the challenges. Obviously, Alt Space VR and others have had there. I think there is going to be a a, a shared VR experience because the technology is going to get so good that at some point you're going to be able to see your your friend and it's going to look like they're there and they're going to be on the other part of the country and but you're going to feel like you're in the shared space i mean i, I don't think that's a matter of if it's a matter of when uh, so i just think you know we're, we're going to see it evolve in different ways at the same time does the narrative uh, of, of how we're all talking about this and thinking about this will it will ready player one the spielberg picture of it is that going to change anything here i, I wasn't i wasn't bowled away by the by the trailer by any means but like people kept on pointing like oh when this happens when this comes out like people yeah. will get it now I think when when the when art and media starts it starts becoming a little bit more mainstream. I think that's certainly going to help. Uh, that being said, there are still some fundamental obstacles that are hindering the wider adoption uh, of VR. And I, I also think the location-based entertainment play now, you know, where you're able to take something that you know I'd have to buy an $800 HTC and a, a, a special computer that that's going to cost you know who knows how much and so by the end of the day all in you know I could be I could be in $2000 for me to have a premium VR experience at home mm-hmm. that's a big barrier so I think so location based entertainment could play a ni- really nice role in exposing people uh, to what the promise of VR is but you know the, the costs have to come down on the units and there has to be more content. And it's a little bit chicken and egg because the AAA developers aren't going to put the money into the content until there are enough head, headsets out there to justify the economics on that. So I, I think it's just going to take a few years for that, uh, for, for the hardware ecosystem and cost to come down at the same time whereas the content's getting higher and better quality to the point where, where, where there's that must-have experience that everyone wants to do at home. Let's lock in on the LBE for a second, mm-hmm. uh, because one, because I think that's going to be a big topic at at Foil at Future of Immersive Leisure, uh, which is which is how I'm managing to get to talk to you. So like, oh, there's there's the natural the natural plug, um, and indeed you'll get to you'll get to meet Christian there if you want. Um, if I've had conversations with folks, I think at like Comcast Ventures about yep how important LBE is outside of the United States. Like, every time I turn around, you know, someone's talking to me when I talk VR, we're talking China, we're talking LBE, we're talking about how, how they're kind of like running with the football in a real way. And here in the States, we've had the void pop up, and then, you know, you can go in certain places, and like in, in certain parts of down, downtown Los Angeles or in Hollywood, or in, or there's people kind of do homebrew yeah. VR arcades, like left and right, kind of popping in a, in a storefront as long as they can hold them open. Uh, and in some places in the Midwest as well, I know of one in the Twin Cities. Um, but we don't, we don't seem to be at the point where there are chains or, yeah. or multiple things. How, how big is this market potentially? It's really hard to say right now. Um, I, I, listen, I, I think in China, where we've seen an explosion in VR arcades, you know, the the, the reports that are coming out are saying most of them are losing money. Mm. Um, so I, I I think we have to figure out the right economic model, where I'm not just charging money for a 10 minute VR demo uh, to really get the economics to work. 
Yeah. Now, there's some other interesting things out there too, right? I think what what IMAX VR is ultimately doing, where you know that's really going to be part of the theater experience. So I'm 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 leveraging the labor and real estate costs of the movie theater already, and I, I'm going to have customer sharing because you know presumably I'm going to get some more people to go in, into the theater that would just wait for the theatrical the shrinking theatrical release window to to be over to watch it at home so maybe they're going to get out of their seat and, and, and go to the theater because they want to see that VR experience or you're going to have some people that are at the theater already and going to see the movie and it's like oh you know what why not for a little uh, for an upcharge I'm going to try out the VR experience too because I love this IP so much I think that, that that's a really interesting model um, but but I think you know how do we turn this beyond make it bigger than a, a 10 to 15 minute VR demo. How do we look at getting ancillary spend in terms of food and beverage and, you know, again, make it into that shared social experience. Is there that bar area that like in sleep no more before I'm going in and after I'm coming out, you know, I'm dropping, you know, 30, 45 bucks on cocktails uh, around the experience. Right. Yeah. So I, I think, you know, find, figuring out what that business model is, is going to be crucial for a broader expansion. I don't think anybody's, found the silver bullet for that yet having it be a, a social destination at the end of the day like that that feels like the right thing i mean i think of something like you know escape hotel uh on hollywood boulevard where there's got some like i don't know half a dozen escape rooms or something like that all like lined up it's it's an old restaurant space that they converted and they have like a, a lounge area with like a cafe i don't know if they got a full bar going on but that idea of of treating a, a central location for everyone like oh you're waiting on your friends they're in a room so or you know maybe your group's so big you took over two rooms and now like oh have a drink and yeah. spill out this this is it's just natural the you know? the other analogy that's really resonated that a few people have brought up to me is you think of this as like the karaoke room oh yeah right so you're going in I with karaoke so sorry. Yeah. <laughs> get excited you got really excited there folks um <laughs> so you know you, you're going to go in with your group of five or six friends and there's going to be a couple of vr headsets in there and you're going to have a docent who's going to help people in and out of the equipment and you're playing vr together and then you know maybe the people who aren't in the vr headset at the moment are doing something on their mobile phones where they're interacting with the virtual world and hey maybe we have one of our 3d live holographic 3d led screens in there too and you know people are buying uh, bottles of champagne and beer and, and having a great time i mean that, that that could really be an interesting model the 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 need for particularly apartment dwellers to have and as the cities get more dense as the seas rise uh to have like <laughs> big living room spaces they can rent together to have a function and have a bunch of different options like well, what are, what do you want to do tonight with like your your posse of 10 friends it's like and and i'm surprised that doesn't happen more yet it's i guess because we haven't suburbia hasn't fully collapsed yet yeah but i i look at the desperate need as angelino who's an apartment dweller <laughs> to like where are we all going to meet and then like if you have one of having enough friends it's like well we can't fit in any one particular person's house um, I mean, people will often like rent a mansion for the weekend or something if they got enough money, and Airbnb lets you do that in VRBO and all that sort of stuff. But the idea of like, well, that's a major production. Whereas, well, what, what do we do? You know, just this weekend, like if you wanted to get together with your friends, going out and doing like a karaoke room for a couple hours—that's almost like your one real choice, yeah. you know. And then they hit whatever the the minimum spend limit to buy a bunch of soju and you know trash on <laughs> soju and. You know, you try the different parts of the book that you never thought you were going to try before. Um, 
those are really my ideal weekends. Actually, <laughs> that sounds great. <laughs> Some of my fondest memories, actually, that was was the first time we accidentally I, I went into one of those type of karaoke places, and it was over on. Um, this was years ago. This was like two thousand or something like that. It was on uh, Vermont and First, and we tried to go to Brass Monkey. Now getting Angel Los Angeles story. We tried to go to Brass Monkey. It was totally full, and we didn't have any beer. I wanted to drink there anyway, and we had like crammed too many people into my Honda. Uh, so we had someone lying across, like, everyone in the back. And then one of my friends was like, hey, no, that place has karaoke and billiards. Those are your two favorite things. Why don't we try in there? It's some random strip mall. And I was like, I don't know. Dude, like, come on, come on. And, like, we pulled in. And we go in. And, like, no one was singing karaoke. And I was like, well, you guys got karaoke tonight? Like, because I'm used to, like, Western style. And they're like, oh, yeah, over here. And there were just rooms, a lot of yep. rooms, and there was soju. And I was my first taste of soju. It's amazing, yeah. And we were, we were there for, like, three or four hours. And we were, we, we were insane. Yeah. And favorite night of all time. And imagining, I've imagined that sort of scenario for, you know, VR or for for anything. Just like, okay, we've got this room for the night, you know. Like, oh, let's watch let's watch Game of Thrones. And then like, you know, oh, you never did the wall experience. Oh, I like, put Tommy in the wall, you know. And now you've created a two to three hour experience as opposed to a ten to fifteen minute short VR experience. And it's shared. It's social. You know, there's food and beverage involved, and that and that's how you get the economics to work better too. Because you're not your economics aren't constrained by the number of people you can get through a headset. Yeah, remember Christian and I get one percent each of anyone who takes <laughs> this and runs with it. Uh, you think I'm joking? Um, <laughs> that almost feels that almost feels inevitable. There's there's almost certainly business reasons not to go that way. Because like at the same time, I'll go to a karaoke place. And they aren't the best maintained. <laughs> like there's there's some disconnect somewhere in in the system. Um, what what gets you excited about this space? About about all it, all this stuff. It's it's the wild west right now, mm-hmm. right? We're, we've got a big white sheet of paper, and we're trying to figure out what to do with it. And listen, we're going to look back at this in 10, 15 years, and the answers are going to be obvious. They're not obvious right now, yeah. right? So we're at this inflection point, probably similar to when, uh, you know, when, when, when film became a thing or when recorded music became a thing, when, when the personal computer became a thing in you know, video game entertainment. We're, we're at that same kind of inflection point, and it's just so exciting to be a part of it and getting to meet everybody, especially here in Los Angeles, which is really, I mean, in a lot of ways, the epicenter of, of VR content and, and, and immersive entertainment. It's it's just it's such an exciting time to be alive and, and be here in LA right now with all this going on. That's what gets me excited. The cross pollinization across film, VR, immersive theme parks. And theme parks. Yeah. No, and like yeah, do not we cannot. I mean the people who are designing this stuff. And then people are starting to talk to me about folks from New York in the theater world coming out here. Uh, to, to sort of like take up the banner, partly because New York's so expensive, but again, LA is expensive. So uh, just keep building apartment buildings, people. Jesus, uh, we can do this. We just need we just need the land to be used properly. Um, I can't think of anywhere more exciting. If if and I mean, duh, it's Hollywood. It's the entertainment industry, but that it's every strata of the entertainment industry. And like in the theme park world, the people who are designing parks that are being opened in like Hong Kong or Dubai, they're over up the road, up San Fernando, 
you know, in, in Glendale and in like in an Atwater village and all that sort of stuff and like peppered throughout the valley. The folks who are doing VR are in these in these random warehouses in the arts district. And yeah. you'd you'd never know. You wouldn't even know that they were there around the corner from like, you know, a UPS like You'd never station. know that we're here right now. No, I did not know. I thought you guys were, were, were next to your neighbor's two bit circus and I was like, Oh, this this is on more of the territory and then and then there's a poster for a loose dossier and everything. I was like, Oh yeah, no, everyone's down here, you know, like this all makes sense. Um, yeah, it's, I, so that's what yeah. excites me. There's just so much potential. We don't know where it's going to go, and we can all help shape it today. And just the incredible community that's that's building around this, and it's just it's just amazing. You know, you you go to these events, and everybody knows everybody else. It's it's just it's a real nice community. Yeah, no, that is true. That's what's that's just really heartening of of all things. Like, yeah. all right, well, Christian, anything else? Uh, anything else we should know about? Uh, uh, how if people want to. If people want to see, how often do you guys take the wall out? So I've seen it in VRLA, but like yeah. So you know, we 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 we've been pretty selective with uh, what events we've had the screen at. Um, so it's but if the easiest way to see it is if you can get on a plane and go to uh, Santa Clara, you can go to California's Great America and see the Mass Effect New Earth attraction up there. And so that that that's our screen and our tech. Uh, so that's the easiest way to do it. Uh, otherwise, uh, try to find me at the Future of Immersive Leisure event, and uh, maybe we can get you in for a demo here in L.A. at some point. All right. Well, there you go. That's that's the way to do it. And uh, you've given me reason to go to Great America next time uh, I'm I'm back home in the Bay Area. So uh, it's been it's been a little while. That was that was where I fell in love with roller coasters, actually. But I'll, I'll what was your first coaster? Oh gosh, it was the it's it, it was actually the hanging coaster, like the yellow I want to say the yellow hanging coaster. I can't remember the name of it right now, but like sort of like the northwest part of the park. That's how my brain works. I'm like, okay, I'm a, <laughs> I navigate that way. Um, and I, we so were on, vortex. It was not the vortex. No, the vortex is the one that goes, goes uh, back and forth. This was this was before it was the before they did the flying coaster. Um, Maybe it was a Top Gun one. Cause it was like, Top Gun, yeah, yeah. Top Gun, it was Top Gun, it was Top Gun. Yeah, it was Top Gun. Because I remember, like, yeah, the, the deck dropping out. And that thing's got that, it's got a very short initial climb, but it, you start up so high that there's just this crazy drop right off the front. And, like, <laughs> I had been terrified. Like, my, my, my life in coasters is defined by, by Cedar Fair. Uh, because as a kid, I had gone to, I grew up in Southern California, and, like, when I was, like, five or, or six or something like that, they took me to Knott's for the first time. And and a, and a lady had uh, one of those rare things where so, a lady had a medical emergency on Montezuma's oh, Revenge, wow. um, and so like they had to shut it down to like deal with it. So that was my first experience of the coaster was that Montezuma's Revenge was gonna like kill me. And so I became <laughs> utterly terrified of the idea of a roller coaster. So it wasn't until like oh my god, I was like twenty or something like that, maybe even older. Like like it was it was a it was a trip down from Santa Rosa during during Summerstock Theater and we were like with like a big group of friends and like not wanting to look like total chicken in front of the girl that I was like you know like totally in love with um, I, I we got on the coaster and we wound up in the front so my first experience of oh a boy. real coaster was the front of Top Gun which has this insane drop right off the beginning so and it's a hanging coaster so I just like just completely in with both feet and then you're going over the water and <laughs> and I loved it instantly awesome I was so amped I just wanted to do nothing else all day long and this running from coaster to coaster to coaster I became a total coaster fiend within like two heartbeats uh, because it was like the worst was over. Yeah. Um, and yeah, like it's it's been a it's been a hot minute. Like I haven't been up in anything in in a while. 
Um, but yeah, this will be this is a really good excuse to go go get that fix again. So say the word. I know people there. Oh man, <laughs> I'm not above that. So Christian, thanks for taking the time. Thank you. Once again, I want to thank Christian Diekman for being our guest on the show this week. You can find 3D Live online at the number three, the letter D, live.tech. Dot tech. That's how you find 3D Live on the internet. Um, hey, this is the part of the show. Uh, sorry, I just shouted hey at you. Uh, and then I shouted hey again. I'll try to try say hey softly. This is the part of the show that belongs solely to me. As opposed to the rest of the show, which, you know, I share begrudgingly with other people. No. Um, what do I want to talk to you guys about this week? I know what I want to talk to you guys about this week. I want to talk to you about In Another Room. So, uh, I just day posted my review of In Another Room, and I'm going to say this much. Uh, if you, I'm going to avoid, I'm going to avoid too many spoilers here. So, like, if you're a person who wants to go in really, 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 really cold, you know, just, like, shut off the podcast now, but not before writing down patreon.com slash no proscenium and giving me your money. Um, <laughs> you thought I wasn't going to get it in there. Um, and, uh, and, and go on your merry way and come back around to whatever point in time this is in the podcast and, uh, and, and talk to me, listen to me, talk to you, um, or something, uh, once you've seen the show. Okay. Now, if you don't have tickets to the show, um, odds are you may not get a chance to get tickets to the show because uh, they're running out of their apartment, which is a duplexed house in Koreatown. Their landlord lives downstairs. Uh, and um, yeah, I mean, come on. Like extensions, maybe a tiny one. There might be a tiny one to squeeze some people in, but I will not get, you know, I'm not going to get your hopes up. You shouldn't get your hopes up. If we're gifted something, we are gifted something and treat it, you know, respectfully. Um, and if you are a ticketed person, you haven't shut off the thing yet. Cause you're like, well, maybe no one's going to say anything and give me some kind of framing. Uh, just please, 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 please. When you're there for the sake of others who might w- w- need, you know, want a shot at seeing the show, just be really gentle when you're around that uh building like just 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 be nice be nice be nice there are you know whenever one of these things happens in a residential neighborhood there are so many things that can go wrong um and that can just lead to things being shut down so please 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 be good i know it's exciting i know you want to hang out on the street corner afterwards and have big conversations because your emotions are up go to a diner get off the street don't give the neighbors any ammunition right like we're we're kind of in a liminal space right now when it comes to getting away with things so be good citizens of our little community please or we won't get to do this anymore and you think i'm being a scold and joking but i'm not so seriously like take it to a diner there are many nice diners in los angeles unfortunately i don't have a favorite but that's something else let's talk about in another room okay now really seriously if you don't want to know anything turn it off three two one 
this is a great piece. Um, I'm not going to redo the whole review for you right now. Um, go read the review if you want to read the review. But I want to point out a few things. Um, this is a company that uh, has you know film experience. Uh, this is a company that has you know deep fans of the material uh, or are in meaning immersive. Uh, and they've brought it. I haven't seen a debut this strong um, uh, in a long time, not since Therapy and Dreams last year. Uh, and you know we've got we've got the Davidsons are our guest on the show next week. Um, that's the Nocturnal Fandango couple at the heart of Nocturnal Fandango. Um, we the the special episode that we we we've we've done up for them. Um, we don't um, we haven't seen something that strong uh, in a while. Uh, not coming out of the gate. Uh, the production design is fantastic. At times it feels like a mixtape of sort of Immersive's greatest hits. If you're a fan of, you know, Then She Fell or The Nest or Sleep No More, um, you're going to, even there's like a moment that kind of feels like, oh, this feels like a, a particular room intention. Uh, but remixed, put together in its own way, telling its own story with its own style, and and the best thing is is that uh, as you go through the piece, you know, as is appropriate to the piece, the styles change. So you know, someone might go like, "Guy, what do you mean? It like rips off those things?" It's like, no, everything is a remix. It remixes those aesthetics, so things feel familiar yet different. And the acting, and what they've pulled out of their performers, is just it's the sweet spot. You know, we talk about immersive acting as the sweet spot between cinematic and theatrical and they're there they're there this is show one and they're there i cannot wait for these folks to do another piece i wish there was a way for this to run all spooky season long. I wish there was a way to just put this somewhere and just let it run and run and run because I think it could. Uh, at only three, um, three audience members a run, it is it is almost certainly not economically feasible. It's like it's like close. Um, just such a good job, such a good job. They should be completely proud of themselves. They have set the bar really high for themselves, though. So watch out. We are coming to the sophomore effort and will will be expecting great things. Uh, but you know what? If they just keep at this level, we're going to be pretty good. Um, yeah, that's it. That's all I want to say about that show. But again, if you go to it, if for some reason you're like, I'm just going to listen. He's not going to say anything. Well, you know, I didn't I didn't give away the story or anything like that. So um but uh but i've definitely colored your opinion but again there's some really nice diners <laughs> you'll you'll be in koreatown or just outside koreatown there's plenty of places to go you can go downtown um you know just just don't 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 cause us trouble um okay i know sometimes i i turn into principal nelson um <laughs> I'm not quite Mr. Belding. I did just date myself. I will refrain from the the usual joke I make when I say date myself. 
Um, all right. Uh, that's it. That's the show this time out. Uh, let's do the credits. What are the credits? Um, well, the contributing, uh, sustaining backer for <laughs> No Presidium is Ross Sigworth of the Ross Geller Club in San Francisco. Um, the music for the show is by Chris Porter of the Speakeasy, uh, the Speakeasy Society. I've said that so many times you'd think I wouldn't tongue twist. Um, you can find us uh, everywhere uh, by going to nopresinium.com. That's where you will find uh, everything we do. This podcast, the reviews, the, uh, the news features, not just in Los Angeles and San Francisco and New York, but, you know, anywhere and everywhere. If you'd like to become part of our Pirate Armada, hit me up, noah at nopersinium.com. We are always looking for uh, tips. We're looking for writers. We're looking for reviewers. Uh, there's more work than there are people to do it right now. Um, and that is not to knock on my excellent team. We're just all, we're a volunteer army, man. Uh, so uh, join up and uh, it's it's a exciting place to be. Uh, and, uh, we, we will find, and there's also a lot of autonomy. Like, you know, you, you got an idea, we're going to let you run with it. Uh, because uh, I got to run after all the ideas I have. You can find us more conventionally. If all you want to do is you know, sit and read and listen to us and, you know, follow along on Twitter is at no Fresenium. for some reason you want to follow me. I'm at Noah J. Nelson. Um, you will get um, the Future of Immersive Leisure Conference uh, by going to futureofimmersiveleisure.com. Um, you can also find our links to all that, uh, and there'll even be something in the podcast uh, slate today uh, with a link straight out to FOIL. Um, everything Immersive. Oh, yeah. Everything Immersive is huge. Almost like, oh, it'll take care of itself. Everything Immersive is our Facebook group. Uh, you can find it easily by going to everythingimmersive.com. There's over 1,600 people on it now. And probably by this time next week, there'll be 17 because that's how it rolls and rolls and rolls and rolls. Um, particularly if you're a member of Everything Immersive and you're like, man, why isn't there more stuff from my neck of the woods? That's when you definitely want to hit me up, Noah at noprosinium.com. We are we are looking for uh, team captains uh, for different parts of the world. You are very welcome to join the effort. Um, yeah, that's it. The coffee is not quite working. You can tell. Uh, I need to drink some more of it. And um, until next time, uh, which will be a a special kind of kind of kind of out of the archives episode, a special episode next week of no Fresenium. um as we uh, look we, we pull an episode uh that is set uh just after a couple of weeks after the end of have you seen jake um uh before the events of uh nocturnal fandango's current season uh the sudden loneliness gift began uh so check out that one next week uh and until then until next time i'll see you with the show <laughs>